Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment. The definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry. The executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Welcome again to another edition of the Crowdmakers. I am Bill Gertine, and with me today, I'm so excited to have her with me. Such a unique story and such a unique lady. Jamie Mo Crazy is a former pro freestyle skier. She is a ski guide. She is a keynote speaker and advocate for resiliency in business and in life. Jamie, welcome to the Crowdmakers. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Well, you have such a unique story as an extreme slope style and half pipe skier. You won the junior world championships at age 18. And in 2013, you were actually the first woman in the world to ever land a double backflip at X Games. I mean, this is something you dreamed about doing ever since you were old enough to remember, right? Yes, actually, when I was a kid, um, when I was nine years old, I won state championships in skiing and I won state championships in gymnastics the same year. And I was interviewed for the newspaper and I said, my dream goal was to combine gymnastics on snow. And so that's what slope style skiing is. It's flipping and spinning. It's like the terrain park skiing, the X game skiing. So it's gymnastics on snow. So I actually always wanted to do that. You know, when you ask little kids, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And sometimes their answers are very different than what they grow up and do. They're like, I want to be a movie star. I want to be an astronaut. People would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a professional athlete. I want to be a professional athlete. And that happened. I would also say, I'm going to go to the Olympics. And that did not happen. And that it leads us into some more uh, of the struggles we might get to later. But so I was climbing up the mountain of life and I knew where I wanted to go. I knew what I wanted to do and I knew what steps it would take to get there. And so I put in the effort, put in the work, built the habits, did all the training. Um, I start at the Olympic Training Center in New York, in Park City, Utah. Um, training there, that's where the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Team is based out of. So I put in all this effort and I was climbing up that mountain and then I got caught by a metaphorical avalanche. Oh, and you're, you're touring with the X Games, you're on top of the world. And this is in April of 2015. You're 22. You're on an X Games world tour and you're involved in a catastrophic skiing accident. Take us through that moment. 
Yeah, so I was actually at World Tour Finals, which was also the World Ski and Snowboard Festival in Whistler, Canada. And I was competing in slope style and half pipe at that event. And it was actually my little sister, Jeannie, her first World Tour Finals that she made to compete in. So she was going to compete in the half pipe. And the day that we're talking about, April 11th, it was a slope style competition. So she was watching and I, I did my first run and I ended up in fourth place. And I'm very competitive and fourth place is not on the podium. No one remembers the fourth place finisher. So of course I wanted to upgrade and get on the podium. So I upgraded my off axis backflip to an off axis double backflip to get on that podium. And um, I actually gave my little sister Jeannie a hug as I dropped in for my run. And she could see me take off on the jump. I was doing the double flip, but she couldn't see the landing because of the snow. Mm. And then she didn't see me hit the next jump. Um, so she was like, oh, Jamie must have fallen, which is not that unusual in skiing to, you know, fall in, in the course of your run. But then she heard the radio crackle to life saying the ski patrol radio at the top saying we need all hands on deck and a helicopter on standby. And so without a word, she and my coach put on their skis and skied down and she saw me convulsing in the snow, spewing blood everywhere. And my eyes were rolled back in my head. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so what was the result of all that then? Did they airlift you out? And, and what was the, the prognosis? So yes, I was airlifted to... Um, First, I was airlifted to the to the Whistler, and then I was um, airlifted to Vancouver General Hospital. And as they airlifted me from Whistler to Vancouver General Hospital, um, my first responders actually wrote my fatality report. I wasn't breathing on my own. I was intubated on the mountain, and the statistics for my recovery were so low, they did not think I would live to the airport, I mean, mm. to the hospital. And so here you are in that moment. And, and so I imagine you're not conscious through all of this. What, right. At what point did you wake up to figure out what had happened? <laughs> That's actually a question a lot of people ask. And uh, I'm interviewed a lot in media. And they say, so what were you thinking when you went into this coma? And I was like, I wasn't thinking anything. The real question is, what was my sister who was there? What was she thinking? And what was my mom thinking? Who was my whole family was coming. They arrived within 24 hours and they were told to come say goodbye. So they were all flooding in to say goodbye to their to me. And um, what were they all thinking is the question because I wasn't thinking. And so I was in a coma for 10 days. And then when I woke up from the coma, sometimes in movies, it's portrayed when you wake up from a coma that you just know who you are, you can talk and you're just like, hey, what happened? But no, when I woke up from the coma, that means I was any amount of alertness, which at the beginning would just be like, 10 minutes and then like an hour of the day. And I had serious amnesia at that time, which means I still had no memory wow. at all. Like zero memory for six weeks after waking up from the coma. So I had no day-to-day -day memory. 
And then it started to come back. And then I had to relearn English. I had to relearn how to talk, which is my English is my native language, but I had to relearn how to talk. I had to relearn how to walk. When I came out of the coma, I was in a, in a wheelchair. I was hooked up to tubes. Um, I was unable to move. The right side of my body was paralyzed. So I was partially paralyzed. And even the parts that weren't paralyzed, I couldn't move. And I actually could only smile with, um, or make any movement with half of my face because wow, the whole right half wow. of my body was paralyzed. What a remarkable recovery you have made and now are a champion for those who are suffering from adversity and, and knowing to be able to, as you say, climb the alternative peak. Uh, tell us about how you relate that story to the groups that you're talking to now and, and how you take what you've done and have, um, have served, you've really gone above and beyond it, how you're helping others get beyond what they're going through? That's a great question. So I do it a little bit differently compared to who I'm working with. So for example, this summer I was interviewed by E! Magazine on Simone Biles and how she withdrew from the Olympics and talking about how it was her own personal best, which is a strategy and concept I understood. I was actually raised with being your own personal best. And I really understood what that meant. It means what currently is the best thing for you. So you look at what your capabilities are. So when I was recovering, all of a sudden my own personal best went from breaking boundaries and doing double flips to walking upstairs. So, but if you perform what you currently can do at your own personal best, that's the right decision. And sometimes what is the best thing for you is breaking what society and stereotypes think you should be doing and, and you've trained for, but that's not the best thing for you at that time. So you need to listen to your gut, listen to your body and always perform at your own personal best. So that's one of the things that I do um, is advocacy and resilience work. And then also for like the corporate audience, I talk a lot about how you think creatively to get to the end result that you want to um, get to and how to climb an alternative peak. And I, I use my story as examples and metaphors for what I'm explaining. My mom had over 30 years of training in early childhood education, um, brain development, and has a master's in psychology and all these high levels of training. So when she arrived as my caregiver, she had all this behind her. Hmm. So my recovery process was person-centered, which means that she would have everybody who came to work on me knock on the door and introduce themselves to me, which is something that we lose a lot of times in the medical circuit. We know that we're supposed to do this, so we'll just go in and do it. And we forget the fact that the people we're working with are people. And so they have wants and needs and they like to be introduced to who they are. So that's what person-centered planning, that whole thing revolves around so I have a little bit of a broad range, but it all kind of centers around my story and connecting how my lived experience can reflect some of the struggles you're going through. Yeah, the lived experience of you versus perhaps some others that are going through some rough patches, you know, doesn't seem to be quite as rough when they compare it to where you were at that time. At what point did could you say that you had arrived back from that catastrophic accident? Or is it still an ongoing process of recovery for you? That is a good question. And how I look at it, so it took, it took, it took me 
roughly five years ish to recover. There's so many different stages. It's, it's really challenging for me to answer in a black and white thing because it was like when I left the hospital, when I stopped going to outpatient therapy, and then I continued doing healing and doing different um, <clears throat> like brain boot camps and different forms of healing for years. And my cognition and emotional were much harder than my physical healing. So then there was like the years when I like looked completely normal, yet I was still acting a little bit different and my whole like emotion and cognition wasn't fully back. So I was alive, but I was not alive to thrive. Um, and then now's, now I've reached the point where um, it's really hard for me to tell if I'm having a mishap if it's just being a human being or connected to the brain injury. So now I don't think it's necessarily because of the brain injuries when I have little like slip ups and things like that. However, I also have learned that you're continually healing your entire life. Um, and so like, as we're getting older and older, we always need to refresh our brain. So I actually make more of an effort now, which I think is very lucky that when I'm having a bad day, I, I look at why, and I look at making some changes. So I know that like, what makes me have a good day, what makes me have a bad day. One of those is sleep. Uh, I need eight hours of sleep. Um, so I think that I've used a lot of what I learned throughout the intensive healing process to be able to refresh and rejuvenate rejuvenate myself as I'm getting older in life and as life is progressing. Just in talking, you and I, it's an extraordinary thing thinking about the fact that you could not smile just a few years ago. And here you are beaming right now. It's really an extraordinary thing. You've had a chance now to talk directly to people that have suffered perhaps some sort of catastrophic incident in their own lives, perhaps not as, as grave as yours, but maybe they're in a career tailspin or maybe their business isn't doing well. Maybe someone in their family is in poor health due to the pandemic or something else. Let's pretend for a moment that you've got a chance right now to talk directly to that person. What would be your message to him or to her? Well, the first thing I would say is that every struggle and turmoil that people are facing, it affects you. And so you are the one. So there's too many people who say, oh, mine wasn't as intense as Jamie's or you don't know everything that was involved in other people. So don't think about the outside. Don't focus, focus on you. If you're hurting and you're upset, that's okay. Feel it, embrace it. One of the biggest things that I learned for my, my psycho rehabilitation, hmm. um, so my psychotherapy was that if you're having a bad day, admit it, accept it, open yourself up to being upset. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to diminish it. And then once you're at the bottom feeling that way, start to climb an alternative peak. So don't stay stuck at the bottom forever. Find ways to start stepping out. And some of the ways to start stepping out are things like the language choice, the language that you're using with other people, the language that you're using to yourself, how you're describing things internally is so important. Your language makes such a huge difference. So focus on how you're saying this to yourself. And an example of that is when I left the hospital, 
And I had been a very fit, active person my whole life. And I no longer could, I wanted to go hiking. I lived in Park City. I wanted to go hiking with my friends and family, but I couldn't walk for more than like five minutes without taking a break. And that was super humiliating and depressing for me. Didn't need to take so many breaks. So my mom, the psychologist, and says that instead of the language choice, instead of saying, I need to take a break, say, look at the view. And there always was a view. And so that's become a metaphor for life. So when you're struggling and you're overwhelmed, stop and look at the view of where you currently are in your current life. And don't think too much about where you want to be, but just breathe and look at the view and find something that makes you happy. Whether for me, I am back to being very fit so I, and active. And so I go some, some days um, to the water ramp training and the trampoline training, which is where you bounce on trampolines and you slide down plastic and you flip into a pool. And I'm not training to progress myself. I'm just having fun with it. And by landing on the water, it's a little bit more of a safe environment. So I can do a bit harder tricks than I do on snow. I, I haven't flipped back on snow, but I do flip on the water ramps. But just doing things like for fun, whether it's going to a book club, it's starting to learn how to paint, just find things that help you enjoy life because honestly we're all just trying to have a good life and be happy so making efforts to do things that make us smile um can really help yeah. anything you're facing well what what an, an encouraging story on your behalf have, are you involved in sports today and do you ski today um yes to both of those things so i am a coach at team park city I coach the competitive kids um, just about once a week. So it's not a ton, but it's a nice way to stay involved um, in that side of skiing. And then I do ski on my own. Um, I don't ski super aggressively. I can ski basically every trail on the mountain. Um, however, the aggressive skiing is like when you're going off cliffs or you're doing tricks in my mind, um, and, or you're doing like steep shoots in the back country. I do back country skiing, but I make sure it's around 30 degrees. So like by, um, this is getting all technical to like this, the slope angle, but if it's 30 degrees, it won't slide from an avalanche. If it's steeper than that, it will slide. So like, I just make choices to have fun and enjoy the outdoors, but to kind of minimize any risky situations that can be. Um, so that has been a big change because I uh, used to be kind of fearless and daredevil. And so now I make an effort to have fun, but play it safe on, on my own skiing. Um, yeah, so I, I, do, I, do, I do coaching and I do skiing. That's great. Well, it's, I'm sure it's slightly frustrating sometimes not to be able to do that, but I'm sure the, the blessings that your mother has inspired you to do is, is to really be very grateful for where you are in life and to enjoy that, which you can, that alternative peak that you've been able to climb. I assume that you're following sports and, and being involved in the industry and knowing what's going on and what's trending now. Certainly the Simone Biles story was something I'm sure you were very close to. What are some of the other trends or storylines that you're following in sports right now that are of interest to you? Well, right now, 
I would say I'm following the most the Olympics coming up um, this winter. So that's really exciting. Um, and it's interesting because my, so the Olympics are in China this winter and my little sister was competing. Um, so they had, so basically when they build the different venues for the Olympics, they have to test out every venue before they use it. Um, so, but by um, participants. So it's been challenging with COVID all this information. So they had built the slope, like they knew the slope style and the half pipe, they built the half pipe. So the winter of 2020, um, so December of 2020, my little sister, Jeannie was in China at the Olympic venue competing in half pipe. And then she came back in the, in the winter Christmas time around 2020. And then around end of January, the buzz of COVID started mm. moving around. And so my dad was like, don't talk to anyone who's been to China in the past year. Just don't talk to them. <laughs> and Jeannie was like, dad, I was there in the past year and we had Christmas together. <laughs> so that's kind of <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah, because that was and then uh, COVID hit and Jeannie didn't compete last year, but um, Jeannie's actually in Switzerland right now at a um, training camp and it has all the uh, internet. It's like a very international training camp. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. a lot of my friends and my and Jeannie's current friends that she's like rooming with right now and everything are already confirmed for their Olympic teams. Jeannie will be going to the Olympic qualifiers, but she's not confirmed right now. But so they're already confirmed to the Olympics. So I have a lot of friends who will be competing. So um, for the Winter Olympics, it's a more personal level because um, I know a lot of these people personally. So seeing their results instead of just being someone you look up to or idolize, it, it has a very personal feeling um, as like, oh, I remember this about that person. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. Cool. Wow. That's so great. Well, it, it's, it is inspiring to talk to you, Jamie. And, and for those who have interest in learning more about you or perhaps even reaching out to you, how can they reach you? Well, our website is mocrazystrong.com. M-O-C-R-A-Z-Y-S-T-R-O-N-G.com. And that's our ha my handle for Instagram and Facebook. I'm pretty active on Instagram. And on our website, it says um, there's ways to contact us and our email is there, mocrazystrong at gmail.com. So basically, if you remember Mo Crazy Strong, it should be pretty easy to find me and get in touch with me. And if you message me on Instagram or Facebook, I always respond. Great. Well, I'm sure there are several lessons that people could pick out of this for their business or their lives from this. And you're an inspiration to a lot. Jamie Mo Crazy, former pro freestyle skier, a ski guide, a keynote speaker today, an advocate for resiliency in business and in life. Thank you so much for being here, a part of the Crowdmakers today. Thank you so much for having me. I, I hope that, that everyone who is listening can have a little shift in their mindset and understand some of the luck and miracles you see in life. You can create them. You can take the steps and build the habits to create your dreams. Grateful to have you. Thanks again, Jamie. If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast. And we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. 
Your positive comments will help keep the Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru. And the executive producer of the Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertine. Until next time, thanks for listening and so long for now. This is the Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.